Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast of the Sunday morning sermons of the Bullard Church of Christ in Bullard, Texas. We hope you'll be blessed, challenged, and encouraged by today's lesson. Wonderful singing. It's wonderful to be together this morning to worship God and encourage one another. And uh, it's wonderful when we get to sing to God and uh, build each other up. We welcome all of you here this morning, those who are members as well as visitors. Admiral James Stockdale was the highest ranking military officer in the Hanoi Hilton POW camp during the Vietnam War. He arrived there in 1965 and was there for seven years after being shot down and captured. John McCain was also taken there two years later. Admiral Stockdale was tortured over 20 times. He was held in solitary confinement in a room that was three feet wide by nine feet long. For seven years, he faced pain and complete uncertainty, never knowing if he would survive or if he would ever see his family again. And after he was released, he was asked how he dealt with being a POW and all that he experienced. And Admiral Stockdale's answer is surprising. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life. And when asked what type of person had the most difficulty uh, as a POW there at the Hanoi Hilton, Admiral Stockdale said that was easy. It was those who were optimistic. That sounds uh, surprising that that would be his answer. But Admiral Stockdale said they said we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving would come and go, and it would be Christmas again. And Admiral Stockdale said, those folks died of a broken heart. He said what got him through was that he never lost faith that he would get out. He never lost faith in the end of the story. He didn't know how, he didn't know when, he truly didn't know if, but he held on to his faith that he knew what the end of the story was. He just had to believe, he had to have hope. And he didn't put a certain date on the calendar that that had to be the date. He just simply held on to hope. And he said, and in the midst of that also, he had to face the brutal facts of reality. Because reality sometimes is nothing but a bunch of brutal facts. And he said, I, have to, I had to face those facts while never giving up about the end of the story. Admiral Stockdale had a no matter what attitude. And that's the kind of attitude that we're studying this morning that Peter writes about in 1 Peter chapter 4. A no matter what attitude. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, and let's look first at verses 1 through 6. Peter writes in the first two verses, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, 
Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You see, because Jesus suffered when He was in the flesh, Christians are to arm ourselves with that same attitude, uh, the NIV says, or that same way of thinking, that same mindset. We're supposed to follow His example. And He suffered in His flesh. And Paul, uh, Peter says, Christians, you need to learn how to suffer in the flesh, to suffer for your faith. You see, the, uh, this has a military connotation because as Peter is conveying, he's saying that, that, that Christians are in a war in a battle between the flesh and the spiritual. What is fleshly and what is spiritual? We're in a battle between uh, the war for uh, us to follow our will, the will of our flesh, the passions of our flesh, or to follow the will of God, to do what we want to do, what makes us happy in the moment, what makes us feel good, or what God wants us to do. You see, Peter is writing to Christians who knew what it meant to be persecuted for believing in Jesus. They knew what real suffering was. And Peter is pointing out to them this interesting dynamic here. He's saying that when a person suffers in their faith, it does something to them. It has this cleansing effect in their lives. That while a Christian will never totally be free from sin, he's not saying that. That would be uh, uh, contrary to what other Scripture teaches. He's just saying that uh, when you pay a price for your faith, when you suffer for your faith and you feel the price of persecution because you choose to follow Jesus, that the appeal of sin begins to lose its grip on you. It no longer has the power that it used to have. And that, that, that nerve center of sin begins to be severed. And you're no longer so sensitive to the temptations of sin, to the passions of the flesh, because you're, you're paying a price for your faith. You're having to stand strong and endure what culture throws at you, what this world throws at you. And you're learning to be tough and strong in your faith. And it's making you uh, more durable in your Christian life. But the problem that most of us experience is that we suffer so little for our faith. Now, of course, we're nothing but thankful for the freedom that we have in this country that also gives us religious freedom. We're, we're absolutely thankful for that. But, but there, there is uh, another side to that and that it, it seems to tend to make us lazy and comfortable in our faith, doesn't it? And when, when we don't suffer anything, when we're not persecuted at all because of our faith, then it can make us lazy and a little too comfortable. Now that's not true with everybody around the world. We support uh, mission work. Mission works around the world. And, and it's totally, totally underground because if they were to be found out, they might suffer all kinds, would suffer all kinds of persecution. You see, that freedom can cause laziness and comfortability in our lives. But we need to ask ourselves, though, if that's the case, are we being bold enough in our faith? 
See, it may not be as much for us, the, the, the culture, the setting that we live in. It may be more of an issue of how bold are we in our faith. Does that make sense? Our issue might not be society around us. It might be the faith within us. Are we expressing our faith like we should? Are we taking a stand like we should? Are we reaching out to others like we should? Because at some point, even our modern society where we have religious freedom, at some point our faith, a serious faith in Christ, will clash with modern culture. We see it all the time, but we don't always experience it firsthand. And when we decide we're going to be bold in our faith, it won't be long before we will come in conflict with, we will cross paths with a culture that says, I don't like that. You're wrong. You're mean. You're hateful. You need to calm down. You need to sit down and be quiet. You're getting too excited about your faith. Uh, Maybe it's on your job where you refuse to follow the cultural trends and beliefs of the day and you find yourself taking some heat for that. Maybe it's at school and you refuse to do the things that it seems like everyone else is doing. You refuse to be sexually active and drink and whatever else your peers are doing and, and, and you feel like you stand out and you feel awkward and even alone. But Peter says, that comes with the territory of following Jesus. One of the best ways to grow spiritually and and to sin less in our lives is to to have the kind of faith that pushes against culture where we start receiving some pushback, where we're, we're bold enough in our faith where culture is saying, hold on now, you're getting too excited about this. You're not following the crowd. You're not, just, you're not just marching in line. You need to chill out with your faith a little bit. You need to calm that down and make it a little more personal and quit telling everybody else about it. You need to just fall in line with what we're doing today. And yet that's not the faith that we read about in the Bible. Now in verse 2 of 1 Peter chapter 4, we find that uh, what we're supposed to do with our lives. If you want to know what am I supposed to do with my life, maybe I'm thinking about college, maybe I'm uh, on my way uh, being done with college, maybe I'm thinking about a career change, maybe I just feel like I'm floating around. What am I supposed to do with my life? Well, Peter makes it real simple for the Christian We're supposed to live our lives not for our own passions, not for our own will, but for the will of God. Now that might work out for you uh, working in a school district. That might work out for you working in uh, in healthcare, working in some other field. And, and, and we don't see in Scripture where God starts to dictate all of that as long as it doesn't conflict with what a righteous life, a righteous person should do for employment. So we don't see that He, he has too much concern about the type of field we're in. He, he, his concern is how are we living in that field we work in. Does that make sense? And so whatever field we're in, we've got to live out our faith, and that's what Paul, Peter calls us to. And he says, and if you do that, you will get pushback from culture. You will feel some level of suffering and persecution. You see, our, our job is to live for the glory of God, to do His will in a way that glorifies Him. 
Now in verse 3, Peter says, he reminds them, these are Gentile Christians mostly, and he reminds them, you've spent enough time living like you used to live. Enough, you've done that enough. All the other stuff that he lists, all of the worldly, the, the sinful passions of the flesh, doing what the flesh wants to do, Peter says, okay, t- enough. You've had enough time doing that. It's over now. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature. It's time to be bold and serious in your faith and live for the will of God. Don't we need those reminders in our lives to realize that that's behind me now. I don't have time for that kind of stuff anymore. I've got to focus my life on living for God. Look at verses 4 and 5. Peter helps us know uh, when that when we do that, when we don't follow the world, don't be surprised that they don't like it. In other words, don't be shocked that they're upset with you because you're not following the crowd. It's like the, the crab illustration. A crab's in a bucket and one starts to climb out and what do the others do? They say, oh no you don't. And they reach up and grab him and pull him back in. You're supposed to be down here with us. You're supposed to do everything uh, we're told to do. We're supposed to march in line with what the world tells us to do now. And if you say, no, I'm going to live out of step with that, with the world. I don't live like that. I'm following God and His will for my life. They look over at you like, what's wrong with you? And they might even slander you, talk bad about you. They might even lie about you. That you're the one that's hateful. You're the one that's mean and intolerant. You're the one that's wrong. And you're the one trying to live for Christ. See, don't be surprised and shocked when they don't like how you're living and criticize you because you don't want to follow the crowd. But look at verse number five, what Peter says. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You see, at some point, all of us will stand before the righteous judge. And every one of us will have to give an account, as Paul said, for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. And so they're going to look at you like there's something wrong with you, but you're over here thinking, I know one day I've got to stand before God. We'll all stand before God. I want to be, a, be able to stand before Him, as Peter talks about in other places, with a clear conscience. Now look at verses 7 through 11. Let me read those real quick. Peter writes, the end of all things is at hand. That means it's near. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace... Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, we have no idea when the end of the world will come. We have no idea when Jesus will return and we'll all face the judgment seat. We don't know if that's going to come today, tomorrow, 
or in a thousand years. We have no idea. But Peter said, the end is at hand. You see, Christ has already come. He's already died for our sins. He's already been buried and raised and and ascended back to heaven. Everything is complete now. All that waits is for Jesus to return, for God to say, it's time. And they return and that's it. And it's too late. And we've got to live with that sense of urgency in our lives to know that that we don't know when it's going to happen. But like the parable of the ten virgins and other parables, we've got to live lives ready to face Jesus on that day, knowing that Jesus is coming soon. And he says one of the main things we need to be sure to do is to love one another in the church. Did you see that? One of the most important things we need to do is to love each other. You see, and then he says, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now at first, for us, that sounds like, oh, so we're supposed to just sweep sin under the rug? We're supposed to just ignore people's sin? We're just supposed to pat them on the head and say, that's okay, baby, it's all right. And and we're supposed to act like it didn't happen? That's not what Peter's saying. What he's saying is that when we, when we strive to love one another the way we ought to love one another, we will, because we're in close proximity in this faith community together, we will offend one another, we will fall short, and others will know it. We're going to see one another for who we are and how we are. And that doesn't excuse sin and wrongdoing. But what Peter is saying is that when you love one another earnestly, when your brother or sister messes up, when they fall short, you don't do what sometimes Christians do. And they say, well, you messed up, I'm cutting you off, and you're done. Forget you. You're no longer a follower of Christ. I can't even have anything to do with you. Boy, I sure am glad Jesus doesn't do that with all of us. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't look at us and say, you messed up one time, you fell short, I don't love you anymore. Instead, His love covers our multitude of sins. Are we still expected to repent? Still expected to turn our lives around, get back up, pull ourselves back up and and get back at it and do it better next time? Absolutely. And see, when we hold that expectation of one another and that love holds us together, that's going to help that brother or sister who falls short, who stumbles. It's going to help them get back up and start living right because they know they've got a a church family that's there for them. That's going to help lift them up, surround them in prayer, check on them, pray for them and walk beside them as they turn things around. And that's what the invitation time is for. It's not for us to sit back and say, yeah, I knew you were up to something. It's not for us to sit back and say, whoo, yeah, I'm so good. That's not what the invitation time is for. It's for somebody that says, look, I, I need your prayers. I, 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 I've tried on my own and it ain't working. And, and not that that's the only way to do that. You can go to others. You can go to the elders, ministers. But, but that's one way to come before your church family and say, I need your prayers and your support. And that's what we're here to do, to love each other and help each other walk that line of following Jesus faithfully. Now, look at verse, verses 10 through 11. Because Peter says something about our giftedness. God has created each and every one of us with 
gifts that we have. We are good at something. You have natural ability in some areas. It's stuff you like to do, stuff you're naturally good at. Some of you are uh, great at leading singing or teaching kids or doing uh, creative things or uh, showing hospitality, ministering to others. Some of you are wonderful one-on-one in Bible studies. Some of you are great at keeping up with the homebound. You're great at checking on people. There's so we, we could go on and on and on about all the wonderful ways just people in this congregation are gifted and what Peter tells us what he makes sure that Christians understand is that your gift is not for yourself your gift is not for you to get any kind of credit any kind of spotlight any kind of praise and it's okay to thank one another and appreciate one another but but your gift Peter says is to serve one another And so someone says, well, I'm not doing anything. Then you need to figure out what your giftedness is. And that's what you're supposed to be doing, something in that area. Now, it doesn't mean if somebody asks me, Brother Jake, would you mind changing the toilet paper this afternoon? it, It don't take any special gift to be able to go change toilet paper. Everybody ought to have a willingness to do that kind of thing. But what I'm talking about is is finding what God made you good at and then finding a way, going to the deacons, going to the elders and saying, plug me in, here's the kind of things I like to do. By the way, Lightpost helps us do that because you can go in and say, these are the areas I'd like to serve in. And it matches you with your areas of giftedness. And that helps the deacons and others know where to plug you in and put you put you to work and serve. And so God expects that we use our gifts to serve one another and for His glory. So if I've got something, a gift I I have, and I'm not doing anything with it, I'm not doing what Peter has called us to do. I'm supposed to be using that gift to serve others. And I'm supposed to do it in a way that glorifies God. I don't do it in a way that that brings glory to me or do it in a way that I'll only do it if I get to do it my way. You you know how some people do. Oh, I'll do that. I know I'm good at it, but it's got to meet my conditions and then I'll do it. If everybody will just do it the way I want it, then I'll do it. That's not what Peter says. We serve one another and we do it to the glory of God. And that's a beautiful thing when we do that. Now let's finish with verses 12 through 19. Peter returns to this idea of suffering for our faith. When he writes in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also be glad when His glory is revealed, meaning when He returns. Verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. In other words, if you suffer, you better not be suffering because you're doing something wrong. But if you suffer, it ought to be, verse 16, if anyone suffers, it ought to be as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. In other words, Peter says, don't be shocked if you suffer for your faith. Be shocked if you don't. 
Because if, if and, and we, we have an opposite view of that. We, we kind of think now that I shouldn't suffer for my faith, that, that I should just, everything should be easy and comfortable. And that's not what Scripture teaches. Anyone who wants to live for Christ, Paul wrote, uh, will suffer. Live a godly life, will suffer harm. And so if I'm not being persecuted for my faith in some way ever, that's what ought to shock me. Not when somebody doesn't like what I believe. Or when I say, I can't do that, or I'm going to do this, and I feel some heat because of that. And I'm not supposed to be shocked by that. I should expect it. You should expect it on your job. You should expect it with your friends. You should expect it at school. You should expect it at work, at college, anywhere you go. What should shock you is if you go through life as claiming Christianity and you never, ever, ever experience anyone saying, anyone pushing back on you for your faith, never feeling any way persecuted because you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, This is uh, Peter who's writing this to the church who knows suffering. And this is Peter who himself understood suffering from, from day one with the, when the church started. In Acts chapter 5, we find Peter and the other apostles dragged before the high council. And, and they were, had already been commanded not to preach about Jesus. They had already been jailed. An angel uh, releases them. They're out preaching again. And the council brings them back again and said, Didn't we tell you uh, not to preach about Jesus again? And they said, We must obey God rather than man. And this is a council. They had, they had all the authority in the world to put them to death and do what they needed to do with them. And they said, We're not going to do what you say. We're following God's will. And so... They beat them severely, commanded them, don't you talk about Jesus again. And they let them go. And verse 41 of Acts chapter 5 says, They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. See, that's Peter writing later telling Christians, look, I've been there, done that. I know what this is like. I know the cost. I was beaten along with the other apostles. And I'm telling you, hold on to your faith no matter what you go through. If you are persecuted, if you suffer, you hold on to your faith. In fact, you'll grow stronger if you do. And I know what I'm talking about. And Luke tells us in the very next verse, verse 42 of Acts chapter 5, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease from teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing if we had that kind of faith? If we had the kind of faith that says, culture, you can't do anything to me. Jesus said, don't be afraid of the ones that can kill the body but be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell, right? You see, that's what we're striving to develop in our own lives here. That's what we want for every Christian in the Bullard Church of Christ. We want to have that kind of bold faith in our lives that will stand up against culture, stand up against what the world says is right, even when they say we're wrong and we'll live for Christ no matter what. Look at verse 19 of 1 Peter 4. We'll finish with this. Peter tells Christians that what to do when they suffer for following Jesus. He says, here's what you do when you face suffering. You entrust your soul to the faithful creator while you keep doing good. 
You're being persecuted for your faith. You're feeling it on the job. You're feeling it in your social life. You're feeling it at school because you're sincere about your faith and you're not just one of those who goes to church, but their spiritual life is an inch deep and they don't live it the rest of the week, but they just show up and punch the time clock. And you're like, I'm not going to live like that. This is real to me. And you feel some kind of suffering and you don't know what to do. Peter says, commit yourself further. Trust God more. Just totally trust Him, the faithful Creator. You're putting your total trust in the One who created you. Not the world who says they don't like what you believe. They disagree with you. You put your trust in the One who knit you together in your mother's womb. Because as Peter says, He's faithful. He knows what you're going through. He's right there with you. And He's faithful with you to the end. And on that day when Jesus does return, guess what? God is faithful. And you'll live eternally with Him in heaven. You can do that because the One who created you will always be with you. He's faithful. Like Admiral Stockdale said, never lose faith in the end of the story. You know how the story ends when you remain faithful to Jesus. I want to ask you this question as we wrap up. Do you have a no matter what faith or do you have an only if faith? You see, a no matter what faith says, I'm going to be faithful no matter what. No matter what this world does or says, I'm going to be faithful and you ain't going to change that. I'm going to live for the will of God. Or do you have an only if faith? I'm going to be faithful only if it's comfortable, it's easy, it's convenient, it's popular, it's, it's a certain day of the week at a certain hour, it's what others are doing. Only if the conditions are right, I'll be faithful. But as we read in Scripture, that's not faithful at all. That's not even Christianity. What the Bible calls us to is a no matter what kind of faith. That's what we want to build up in ourselves here and encourage you in this morning. Do we need to pray for you? Can we pray for you in your faith and your walk with Christ this morning? Can we encourage you? Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism to start walking a life of faith in Jesus and be a sincere follower of His. We're here to serve you in any way. We invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. We thank you again for listening today. If we can answer any questions for you or serve you in some way, please reach out to us. You can find our contact information and more on our website at bullardchurchofchrist.com. If this lesson has helped you, please rate our podcast and share it so more people can hear the Word of God. And please, come visit as soon as you can. We meet on Sundays for class at 9 a.m., worship at 10 a.m., evening worship at 5, and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. God bless you.